lot of people are like, oh, once you're successful, you got it made. But it actually gets a little bit harder to make those those pivots. And I, the, I call the them track record. Pivot. Yeah. And, and other identity pieces that you're connected to. And, and, you know, a lot of things that you're sort of, I call it this like inadvertent success trap. You know, the people that I really look up to and respect are like, let's say David Bowie continually reinventing, you know, Madonna was really great at that. You too stayed relevant. Like this whole idea of reinventing and continually reinventing is really, really powerful. Or you get stuck in a concept that others kind of made up for you. Welcome to Pivot Me where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. What do David Bowie, Madonna, and YouTube all have in common? Well, our guest, Yannick Silver, is going to tell us just that. So Yannick is a serial entrepreneur who has had many businesses, successfully founded and grown them. He wrote the Evolved Entrepreneur book, which explores how your business can make more profits while making a greater impact in this world. And he's the creator of the Cosmic Journal and Maverick 1000, a global network of top entrepreneurs making a serious difference in this world. This is how I might end up on a sailing trip to Antarctica. More on that later. Yannick has partnered with some amazing people, including a childhood hero of mine, Tony Hawk, and also Sarah Blakely, Tim Ferriss, and Sir Richard Branson. Yannick and I, we rehashed the time in both of our lives when we both bought a uh, luxury car. His was more luxurious than mine was, but we bought luxury car that did not fit our lifestyle. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for being on Pivot Me today. I'm so glad we finally made this interview happen. Yeah, me too. Thanks, April. Absolutely. So you and I got connected through Cameron Herald. Yes. I believe it was a trip related to Cameron Herald, right? That's how uh, this all began? Yeah, the possibility of going to Antarctica. Yes, it sounds so good. We talked about it as like the one continent I'm missing. So oh. it's really appealing now. Apparently that's the one continent that Cameron's missing too. So exactly, yep. we're all crossing stuff off the bucket list. It's, and I so, didn't even realize that that's my seventh continent as well. I was like going back and thinking about it. I'm like, oh. Excellent. Is it really? Yeah, so now I, oh God, now I there's so much there. significance built around uh, it. Now we've got to go. Okay. <laughs> and penguins. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not a lot of places you can see them. And they seem oh. like pretty remarkable flightless birds. So there's so many questions that I want to ask you. Yeah. We were just talking about that before we went on. But first, I'd love for you to tell us about Maverick 1000, what it is and why you started it. Sure. It's actually one of those pivot moments for sure. Super quick background. Family came over from Russia when I was three and I grew up in a, in a family business, medical equipment, sales and service. So mm -hmm. been in the entrepreneurial space for a long time. At 14, my dad had me telemarketing and then at 16, the only way I could get a car is if I went out and cold called doctors. You know, so I, and, and then I had a doctor client give me a, a tape about direct response marketing. He's like, yeah, I think you would like this. And, and literally I turned on the lights and then I helped grow my dad's business from like a regional player to a 
a national player using these marketing and copywriting skills. And then so the internet started coming around and I was like, oh, this looks really, really interesting. And, and in 2000, I left my dad's business, which was a really hard decision and, and started on my own with the little idea at three o'clock in the morning. So another pivot moment, I think, I had a lot of yeah. pivot moments. And, and the question I asked myself, I think your questions really dictate your answers. And the question was, uh, how do I create a fully automatic website that makes me money while I sleep and is an mm-hmm. incredible value to people? And I literally got up at three o'clock in the morning with the idea for something called instant sales letters and got to work on it. No tech skills. Like I couldn't put up a website, still can't, but I found someone that could do it and literally, you know, was making money in my sleep. That kind of the, the ultimate wish sort of thing. And then that turned into something that people are like, wow, how did you do that? Could you teach me how to do that? And so that turned into a whole nother career, helping people take their information and knowledge and share that online. And, and that was going really well outside looking in, you know, had all the success that you would imagine. And then uh, just asked myself another question, which was, am I happy? Would I be happy doing what I'm doing 10 years from now? Mm. And when I was honest, the answer was no. And, mm-hmm. and so that was this pivot moment of, okay, what would that look like? And in my journal, it was three interconnected circles. It was a, a dollar sign, a happy face and a heart. And where that all connected is what I call the maverick entrepreneur. And then I'm like, all right, well, it's, it's kind of like scratching my own itch. I'm like, oh, let's, let's put on these awesome adventures with my peers and friends. And we'll go off in the middle of nowhere and go Baja dune buggy racing and have business sessions and have adventures and have a, a charity element. And it mm-hmm. all sounds amazing, except for the fact that on that first trip, we lost about $40,000. And then that turned into about $400,000. And my wife's like, um, what the hell are you doing? So that was another potential pivot moment as well. But it all sure. started as an opportunity to scratch my own itch. And so Maverick is really about bringing together exceptional entrepreneurs that, that care about growth, impact, and fun. With the idea, I love the idea of you ask a better question, you get a better answer, right? So when you woke up at, you said two in the morning, three in the morning? Yeah, three in the morning. Did you, the first time. did you wake up with the question? Or did you wake up with the answer? With the answer, yeah. I believe in that incubation process. So you give yourself that question and, and you allow it to, to incubate. And I use my journal for a lot of that too. Like I mm-hmm. love I love questions. So the better the question, the better the answer. And then just let your subconscious work on it. But then also there's a journaling process and, and I can talk about it now or we can talk about it later, but how to answer these questions. Yeah. Um, also use that intuitive, creative side and, and even the wiser side. And, and then I have some pretty out there processes too for journaling and and getting these answers to questions. I definitely want to talk about the journaling process in one second. I do want to point out something. So you just point out several different pivot points. How does one navigate those? So you've had success in your father's business and you leave it. You go and do this other business and then you leave it. You start this idea of this adventure, you know, event, and then you have to pivot again. When did you know you needed to pivot? And what kind of mindset did you have to have to be able to do that pivot and not feel like a failure? Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. A lot of people are like, oh, once you're successful, you got it made, but it actually gets a little bit harder to make those, those pivots. And I, the, I call the them track record. Pivot. Yeah. And, and other identity pieces that you're connected to and, and, and just, you know, a lot of things that you're sort of, I call it this like inadvertent success trap. You know, the people that I really look up to and respect are like, let's say David Bowie continually reinventing, you know, Madonna was really great at that. You too stayed relevant. Like this whole idea of reinventing and continually reinventing is really, really powerful. Or you get stuck in a concept that others kind of made up for you that originally was your own concept, but then you get you get stuck in it. And so the ways that I've looked at when I know it's time to pivot, I call it, so I call it a cosmic alarm clock. I, I think it's like this little subtle voice mm-hmm. uh, or, or little thing that that is very quiet. And the more still you are, 
the more you're going to be able to listen to it. So mm. you know, I encourage like mindfulness practices and so forth. But even if you don't have that, it's going to continue showing up and it starts as like a little whisper and it gets louder and louder and you can either hit snooze or you can, uh, you can answer it. And so it's also like, to me, like how, how you're feeling, like if you're kind of depressed and frustrated and annoyed and you just realize that you're not doing what you're meant to be doing and it's not fun. Uh, and, and of course, you know, in, in business as an entrepreneur, you're going to have days that are not fun because that comes with the territory. Sure. You know, you signed up for this. This is, you know, your responsibility is when, when it works and when it doesn't work and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, but when you have a lot of those days and when you have, when you, have, you know, it continues multiplying and you're just like, you know, this is not for me, mm-hmm. then you really do have to take these, these important questions and start working on them and, and seeing, okay, what, what does that look like? And, and, and of course there's that whole grass is greener on the other side kind of process mm-hmm. where you're like, Oh, well, this would be the ultimate thing. And, sure, and, sure. and, and, and anytime you get there, you're like, well, that's not it, but, but the, the process is, is really powerful. And so with my dad's business, it was like, I thought I was going to take it over, grow it and, and keep it. And then at some point I'm like, no, I, I really want my own thing. And it was a very difficult decision because and I was like disappointing your dad and, and, and all these things that came with it. But every time I've made those hard decisions, it's always been about how do I, how do I be true to myself? Like, and, mm. and it's, it's like, I, I talk about like following your heart is, uh, is often scary, but never wrong. And, and wow. so that, that, that point, and then the, the pivoting, like this whole idea of, of maverick pivoting where it was like, okay, well, something's going on here. So my wife was like, what the hell is going on? Uh, <laughs> so she was, she was helpful with that because, I had a bit of like an open checkbook from the other company of like, oh, well, we can just do whatever you want. But then my passion was fading over on the other side of the other company because it just wasn't what I was meant to be doing. And mm-hmm. so I could have easily gone back to almost like golden handcuffs yeah. and gone back to what I knew I could do and, and it was easy. But every time you do that, like your soul dies a little bit inside. You're not doing what you're meant to be doing. And so then it went back to, okay, what, what is my real why here? And the why wasn't to build an adventure travel company. It was to change the way business is played. Mm-hmm. And, and so really like doubling down and getting deeper onto what is, what is the reason why you're doing this? And, and then it like, so I, I asked another question uh, and the question was, what would my 111 year old self tell me? And so the answer to that, and I used my non-dominant hand, so I'm right hand and I used my left hand. And the mm-hmm. answer was light a thousand suns who each have the potential to light another thousand suns. And that's when we changed everything, like made it more about this evolutionary growth for entrepreneurs, made it like just really changed things up where it wasn't just about the adventure trip. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was truly about growth. And, and what does that look like? Wow. So we've just stumbled upon one of the other reasons why I'm pretty sure you and I just became friends. One of my journaling prompts is what does 80 year old April tell current day April? So it's the same yeah. because people always say like, well, what would you tell your 16 year old self? Right. And I love that concept, but I always flipped it to, well, what would 80 year old April tell current day totally. April and listen to her because she's seen a few things at this point. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever worked with your other, your non-dominant hand? I haven't when you said that, and I know the significance of it. So yeah. in, in university, I studied biology and chemistry and okay. they would talk about you make new connections by doing things with your non-dominant right. hand, driving home in a different direction versus the predictable path. You always drive to work, things like that. And as soon as you said that I, I was taken back to my university days yeah. and thought, that would actually help. Yeah. And so it's really powerful. Like that answer that I got, I was like, wow, 
that's like, I, and I stumbled on this, like, uh, so I play ice hockey still men's league. I, I grew up playing hockey and, uh, and it's a non-checking league, but sometimes it gets a little, a little rough. And so I came home, I usually would journal almost every single night and mm-hmm. I came home, I got checked or hit or something. I felt really hard on my right elbow. And I'm like, I feel like I have this book on, on non-dominant left-hand writing somewhere. Let me go find this thing. And it was a book called thought revolution by who's now a friend of mine, a guy named Bill Donius. Mm-hmm. And he works with like fortune 500 companies on innovation strategies. And he takes them through a process of non-dominant handwriting, answering questions like that. And then he learned it from a child psychologist, uh, I think Lucia Carpacciano. And so it's a really, really powerful process of connecting your whole brain. And, mm-hmm. and so I used it uh, because I couldn't write with my, my right hand. And I was like, holy cow, what, this is really, really interesting, the insights that I was getting. And so now I'll continue using it. And, and so I love like taking a question, putting it at the top of my journal page, writing multiple answers because one answer is just going to give you really mm-hmm. a pedestrian, whatever your, your typical answer sure. is, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you add your non-dominant hand mm-hmm. and it's really, really interesting as well. Or, you know, the other ways that I've done that is you could have your 80 year old self, your 80 year old April, and then mm-hmm. you have a conversation back and forth. So you use your right hand, your dominant hand to ask the questions and then you use your non-dominant to answer as this other archetype. That is, I love it. It also reminds me of seven levels of why, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. And keep going deeper and get to the real essence, which, which is so funny because it almost all comes back to either wanting to be loved or just totally. something that, you know, just wanting to be happy or, not, or being in fear of something like it's fascinating. Kind of like these four core things that are driving right. us significance and belonging and all those things. And we just right. layer in all these we put in all these layers of complexity, so it looks different, but ultimately it comes back to these same four or five things over and over again. Right. We can address those things. We get to address all the layers that go on top of those things. But when you said about people think that once you have a certain level of success, that it gets easier. And yeah. we know that that is not true because then you have this track record of being successful and it's very hard to switch gears. So, you know, a conversation we've had on Pivot Me a few times is when people have been successful, most self-made millionaires have lost on average their fortune twice. Sometimes it's four or five times. Sometimes it's it's one or it's none. But we talk about what it looks like after that. So after that huge, whatever that downturn was or this inflection point that happens in your life, how hard it is to crawl back up. And sometimes it is harder for successful people because there's an expectation around them. There's a reputation. There's our ego. I mean, it can drive us and it can hurt us too. Talk to me about what it was like, like how you got over that, how you said, okay, I was doing this thing and then everybody knew me as this thing. And then I was going to go do something else. And I was really rolling the dice. How did you navigate that? Well, at first it's easy because, so I had seven or eight projects. I'll hit the seven figure mark, like without a business plan, just, you know, I was like, kind of like Midas touch, like everything was really easy. And then I'm like, all right, well, what, you know, what was going to make me happy? Like that, that whole question of, you know, am I happy? Would I be happy 10 years from now? I'm like, oh, it's this thing. And, and so I, I do believe in putting the, the stake in the ground and making it happen. And so I've done that mm-hmm. a lot of times for any, anything. And so this was like, all right, well, I'm going to go make this Baja do muggy racing trip happen. And that was the first thing. And I'm like, we're going to do it completely different now. You know, my other company, we started with $1,800. This is like, you know, we're going to get the right branding for it. We're going to, you know, do all these things and, and before even knowing if it works or not. And so that's one of the benefits of, of bootstrapping and, and, you know, not having a lot of capital originally because you have to, you're forced to, to be creative and be scrappy. 
And, and so that wasn't the constraint that I had. And so when, when you know, I lost that 40,000 on that first trip, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. It's, you know, it's an investment. It's a whole different kind of business. And then at mm-hmm. 400,000, it was like, all right, well, something needs to change because the other company is not making me much money anymore. So I'm not paying attention to it. So that's when it got real as far as like, okay, how committed am I to what this thing is? And, and that's when it got really unknown because... I knew what the, the other one was. I could go back and, and do that, but that wasn't going to fulfill me. And then the unknown was like, let's just see what happens. But I didn't have the safety net anymore of, of a bunch of extra income coming in. And, and so even like to the point where I sold my Aston Martin and I was like, oh, it was either between selling my Aston Martin or selling my ticket to space. So I have a ticket to Virgin Galactic. I can buy a, a thing anytime, but this sure. is the experience. I'm going to hold on to this. And then I had like our third car, which is kind of like a, it was it was not a beat up, but it wasn't as nice, obviously like a little MDX. And, mm-hmm. and so it got to the point where I was like, first I was like really annoyed. I'm like, all right, I sold my, you know, my, my, my sports car that really identify like guys, especially I think identify oh, yeah. a lot of their cars equal their success. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me sit with this for a little while because I easily could have like leased another car that would have been in line with, you know, what would be in my neighborhood of, of success or whatever. But I'm like, no. sure. I'm going to, I'm going to ride this out. I want to see what this is about because so many times as entrepreneurs, especially our net worth is connected to our, our self-worth is connected to our net worth. Oh yeah. And I'm like, Let, let's see what's happening here. And I, I wanted to really examine it. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, this is actually really cool. I can stick my paddle boards in here. I don't have to get my car detailed <laughs> so- all the time. I, I can park it anywhere. Yes. Um, and it finally got to the spot where I, I was like really thankful and grateful for having that MDX and, yeah. and I knew I had, had reached a, uh, an interesting inflection point because I was like driving down the, the, the road and we live in a pretty affluent area, uh, but it, you still don't very often see, you know, Aston Martins and other sure. cars, but you do on yeah. occasion. And then, so I, I saw one and I saw a convertible one and it was like a perfect, like 70 degree day. And I'm like, I, I just like blessed that person. I was like, I hope they, they are having an amazing day. Like instead of having like that little bit of like oh, tightening, like, oh, yeah, that could have been me. And then I knew I was like ready for, for something else. And it was really, really fascinating too, because I, I, I like going back in my journals, but you, you have to like, in order to, to keep going up this spiral of, of evolutionary growth, really, you have to give up something and, and it's difficult to give up. So I, I think the universe sort of bonks you on the head harder and harder to get you moving in the right direction. So mine was like that 400,000. One of my friends that I had lunch with a couple of years ago, when I was telling him that story, he's like, ah, he's like, ah, yours is 400,000. Mine is 4 million. I'm like, oh yeah. That's <laughs> so you're good. faster learners. Than him, I guess, right? but, but, but it you shaved off a zero. Yeah. But it could be financial. It could be health. And, and that usually drive, you know, moves us in that direction. Like I think joy is kind of our GPS and it's continually driving us. So that's mm-hmm. our intention. And then the pain are like your guardrails mm-hmm. and the guardrails can be big, these are the bigger bumps on the head. Or if you're in a line with your head, which is your business side, your, your marketing mm-hmm. side, your heart, your impact side, and then your higher purpose, like why are you here? Then those, those guardrails are, are smaller and tighter and it's just easier kind of navigation. What's interesting is when you were explaining that, what one of the things I heard you say is that you have to get quiet. You have to get still to hear it. And yeah. that is not what entrepreneurs are known for. Like we hustle, we, we move fast. And I think that when we don't, have that stillness to hear that the I think he's called it the cosmic alarm clock. It, yeah. We we don't hear it. And so then we just put a bunch of stuff on top to quiet it. And there's all sorts of ways that we can do that, right? That just create distraction in our life because we don't want to look at this over here. Don't look over here. Let's look over there. I love that you pointed out that you have to get still 
again, not necessarily inherent in our DNA, but we should still do that because that's when we get our answers. Totally. And I, I never thought, you know, I could meditate. Like I had a million ideas a minute and mm-hmm. meditation has gotten bigger and bigger now. It's really interesting. Like I would have asked a room of entrepreneurs who meditates, like, I don't know, eight years ago or 10 years ago would have been like maybe 10%. And now it's like yep. 60% of the room, which is great. And, and it's a concept that, you know, has been just a centering for me. Yeah. Where it's, where it's like just a, a, a non-negotiable where mm-hmm. every, every day, usually twice a day. And, and it really helps. Um, even if you're, if you can do it even like for five minutes, 10 minutes, and there's a lot of cool gadgets and things that can help you with that. And, and yeah. but it doesn't have to be meditation it can be something else, but, but it's, it's also the awareness of bringing awareness. Like you said, that stillness of, of looking at something and examining it. And, mm-hmm. and if you can't do that, then you're going to continue running away from it. And, and we're really good as entrepreneurs to just go without examining why are we actually doing it. Yeah. And we chase that shiny new object a lot. You yeah. know, I think meditation has become more popular and I think there's a lot of talk about it, which helped. And then there's a lot of apps, you know, like Insight Timer and Calm right. and all these things out there that have helped. One thing I'll just say on meditation is obviously we know the benefits. They're huge. If you struggle, if you're listening now and you struggle with meditation, if you struggle kind of quieting the mind, guided meditation is a really good solution to that. So if you turn on calm, you turn on insight timer and you put on even a five minute guided meditation, it kind of helps that sort of monkey brain that's bouncing around and over here and over here and over here. It can really help you sort of harness those five minutes better. I loved the idea of meditation, but I had a really hard time with unguided meditation. And once I started guided meditation, I was like, I'm in, I love it, but I needed somebody with that voice to guide me through. Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. 3%. Man, that's bad. I came from the big business world, and if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs, and they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full time. Connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call. Yeah, it's, it's, so I look at everything as like experiments. And Mm -hmm. so I was, uh, you know, I had the good fortune of one of our Maverick events. We were were working with uh, Russell Simmons, who's a big hip hop mogul. And he's really big into yoga and meditation and so forth. And I was reading his book and, and I'm like, all right, this dude who's super ADHD, he can meditate if he can do all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to give it a try. And using his process, I, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to you know, give it an experiment until yeah. I go into my, my interview with him. And, and between him and, and a couple other friends, like a guy named Vishen Lakhiani, who's sort of Mind Valley, a friend of mine, um, mm-hmm. uh, and Tom Cronin, like, I was like, all right, I can figure this out. And then I, I just did it as an experiment and it's stuck now for, I don't know, seven, eight years. And it's, it's been really, really centering and, and incredible, but, but everything to me is that experiment. So if you give it 21 days, like meditation or journaling or all these processes are sure. not like switch moments. They're not like, mm-hmm. all right, I do it for one day. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm great. I'm enlightened or I'm whatever. Like it's a dimmer switch. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and it builds on each other. Like I would rather meditate for five minutes a day for a month than do it for, I don't know, an hour once a week or something like that. Like get a lot more benefit out of the, the continuity of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you think of it as an experiment, then like, especially like the journaling, that's a, I'm a huge proponent of that. So yeah. like, I'm going to give this a try for like, for me, it's 33 days. I'll do things like no sugar or no alcohol or different things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and then you, at the end of it, you're like, all right, did this make my life better? Yeah. And, and by having an experiment, you have an end, end date. And it's just like, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter what we do once in a while. It matters what we consistently do. It's yeah. the consistent execution that really changes our lives and business. But then we also like get wrapped up in like, oh, I should be journaling or I should be meditating. Yeah. And then you just like have that guilt and you're like, oh, I need to do all these things. I need to have an hour and a half morning routine. And then I have that right. hour and a half, you know, cool down routine at night. And then, you know, so then you get yourself all wrapped up because also we're overachievers and many times. And then we're like, oh, we need sure. to do everything right. And then, uh, you know, instead of just being like, all right, let's, let's see what, what works here for us. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I was actually a big fan of the savers morning routine that Cameron Harold and Hal Elrod talked yeah. about. What I loved is it was scalable. And so in, we talked about it in Pivot Me and I talk about it in my masterminds as well. You can do each, it's essentially six parts, you know, yeah. all the acronym for savers and you can each do one or you can do each one of those for one minute. And so anyone's got six minutes in the morning because I need to remind people that so, some people don't want to get up at 4.30. Some, I mean, I'm an early riser and I get up and I, I'm right in the hustle. That's also, I enjoy that. There's lots of clients that I work with that don't enjoy it. They're like 7 a.m. is pushing it for me. They don't have to have my morning routine. They don't have to have Robin Sharma's morning routine. They yeah. do need to have something that they can consistently execute on. So definitely don't be looking for perfection. Just be looking for a consistent execution and what works for you and the season you're in in this yeah. life. Right and now. The other thing I found is like trying to add too many things. Yeah. For sure. That's a problem. So we talked about your car briefly. We need to go back to that for two reasons. One, it's because I have a similar car story, which I'll share real quick. And then two, I would like you to tell them what you had engraved on the, was it the door sills? (laughs) Actually, go go ahead. So, okay. So go ahead and tell us real quick. So So what did you have engraved? So Aston Martin is, you know, it's the, the, the James Bond car. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so we used to run for a decade. We ran, a, we ran a, an event called the underground and it was a spy themed event where the underground would bring in these real world people that were making lots of money online and to share their unknown people. So it was kind of like spy related spy theme and like mm. bring them in to show what they were doing. And so I had on the door sill. So when you buy the Aston, it's usually custom built and you get to choose all the different things. And on door sill, you can put whatever you want. And I think, I think the door sill said, especially made for, which is a standard thing. And then it, what the heck did it say now? So uh, what we were told was silver, Yonic silver or something like that. I can't secret remember. agent. That's, what, silver. Secret that's agent, what we Yonic were told. Silver. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and by the way, we had uh, one, we used to bring in celebrity guests too. We do that a lot for Maverick events, but we brought in uh, a James Bond, and I can't remember his name now, but he played Bond one one time because he was cheaper than the other Bonds. <laughs> but, <laughs> He's the uh, cheap Bond. We'll bring in yeah, cheap Bond. And uh, and and so uh, I have a great picture of me being fake punched by him in front of my Aston Martin. That is awesome. That is great. That's a great photo. So the reason why I brought up the car thing, first, I love that you got it engraved. Second, when I read the story of it, here's why it resonated with me so much is that I was probably, I don't know, maybe 20, 
22. I was younger and I just got into finance. And at the time, I'll never forget, I worked for Wells Fargo and then Chase Manhattan. And I was starting to finance these really big projects. And my boss pulled me in and he said, April, I want you to take a look at this. And at the time I drove like this little pickup truck that I drove in college and it served my needs at the time. And he's like, look out in the parking lot. And it was, you know, BMW, Mercedes Benz and Lexus was the other one or no Audi actually it was. Mm -hmm. Anyways, he said, look at the sea of nice cars. And he goes, and then look at your pickup truck. And again, I was 22, 23 tops. And he said, you have to project an image of success at all times. I never forget what he told me. So that night I went out and I bought a BMW, right? And I was like, I got to do it. So I buy a BMW. My husband, boyfriend at the time, he's like, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, this is critical. This is key to success. I got to have the car. And what was funny about it, what I loved when I read your story is, I remember like two weeks later, it was a snowboard season. I was a big snowboarder and I was trying to stick my snowboard in the back of the car. One, it didn't fit. Two, you know, I had really nice seats and I kept thinking my bindings are going to tear the seats on the back of this. And I knew then I'd made a mistake that this car, though I love you're saying about earlier that guys like cars, I grew up with pictures of Lamborghinis and Ferraris on my wall. So I, I enjoy cars as well. This car didn't fit my lifestyle, but I only figured that after after I got the vanity plates that say never settle, right? Because that's what you need as a 22-year-old <laughs> driving that car is vanity plates that say never settle. But it was when I was trying to shove my snowboard in the back that I was like, ah, oh, this isn't going to work for me. And I ended up selling it back, um, lost thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on it. So when I heard your story, I was like, oh, similar car story. Because you yeah. ended up selling that one back too, right? I did, yeah. I, 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 sold, I sold it back. And then, yes, and then I, I, I hung out with my MDX for a while. And then it was, I was like, you know, and then, then I felt ready to get another car. And, and I was like, I just wanted one that, that really represented who I, who I was. With sure. And it, I ended up getting a Mini Cooper. Uh, and, and I love my Mini Cooper. I, I don't have the tiny one. I got, I got okay. the family version. It's, uh, it's like a four door, but, uh, but, I, but I love my Mini. It's like quirky, fun. It's speedy still. It feels like I'm- It's amazing driving a little go-kart and, and every time I get in, I'm like, yeah, I really, I really love my car. This works. So my, my question is though, when you sold the car back to the dealership, how hard was it for the dealer to find someone else who was also secret agent, you know, ah, silver? They, they like, changed the Do they change the like sand it I'm, off or something? I'm sure they, they, re, they can redo that for what they, what they paid me for. They had plenty of margin. <laughs> they had lots, lots of money to do um, that. Yeah. It's, I did feel like an idiot though, selling it back. Where it was like, I was like, I wonder how many younger guys they have come in here and and sell it back and be like, well, all right, there's another one. And, yeah. And I'm like, ah, whatever. That would be a hard kind of gut check. Yeah. What would you say to someone, a business owner that's listening right now, that's considering a pivot? So whether it's into a new business, whether it's a business that they're doing, that their heart is maybe not into it anymore. Um, maybe it's a car they've got to sell back. What would you say to help them navigate that? I'd say that you you really want to check in with yourself, especially like journaling is a great process for it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just getting you know, hearing, hearing yourself out, whatever, whatever is going through your head. Because so a lot of times we have all the exact same thoughts rolling around in our head and then journaling has actually been scientifically proven to make us happier because mm-hmm. you create a beginning, middle and end of that story on paper. And so just whatever is the stuff that's rolling around and, and it's going to be a lot of stuff from, you know, what is, what does this say about me? What, it, you know, what does this mean? But everyone knows the answer. It's just like, we don't want to hear it a lot of mm-hmm. times. 
And so then it's like getting that awareness of, of being okay. And you're going to be okay no matter what, because as an entrepreneur, this is what we do. We make stuff out of nothing. We, we, we figure out things. And, and so that never goes away. But if you're feeling like, so I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who, you know, come into Maverick and are, are already successful. And a lot of times they get introduced to more ways that they can make a greater impact. And then they're, they're like, oh, well, this is what I really want to do, but I don't want to lose everything I built beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it's, it's creating that, that plan where it could be a transition plan. It could be an exit. It could be whatever it is. But if you've fallen out of love with your company, then it either means that you want to re-engineer it so that mm -hmm. you are fully in love with it, or, you know, it's time to, to move on in, in some way. And, and it is, you know, it, it is a risk, but you're going to have to take that risk regardless. And, and, and so I would rather be more fully alive risking than I would trying to diminish myself to fit what I used to be. That's so good. That's so good. I love when you're saying this is what we do. We make something out of nothing and we have a high risk tolerance. This is just another risk. It's, it's so important. One, one thing I want to point out when you're talking about journal, journaling, so I'm a huge fan of journaling as well, have done it for since I was a kid. I have stacks of journal. In fact, I'll tell a quick story. I had a house fire when I was 19, 20. And sure enough, after I drug my roommate out, who had indulged that night and didn't wake up when the house was on fire. I drug her out by her left foot. But once I was done dragging her out, the next thing I went back in for was my journals, wow. which was funny because the fire department shows up and I come out with like tons of these journals. They're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, it's my journals. Um, so I'm a huge fan of journaling as well. That's awesome. One thing I'll point out about journaling is I love that it has a beginning, middle and end. You kind of bookend the story. The other thing that journaling can do is it helps us to articulate our fears. Because when we're facing a big decision, what's often at kind of the, what's causing us a lot of pain and a lot of procrastination is fear. We're afraid, so I'm afraid if I give back the car, I'm gonna look like a failure either to the car dealership or to my friends or to my family, to my wife. And so when we journal, it's a place where we can really ask that question, what am I afraid of? And then I would encourage you to ask the second question, okay, what am I really afraid of? Or what's the worst that can happen? And I think that's just so powerful. It's the place where we can really get in touch with what we're afraid of, which is causing that hesitancy. And, you know, shame cannot survive being spoken, Brene Brown quote, but once we say it out loud, like, well, I'm afraid I'm gonna fail at this, like I failed at this other thing it diminishes its power over us. So I just want to point out another amazing thing about journaling. I have this little concept of the fear monster and mm. it's like bringing voice to, to this little fear monster. And especially like when COVID started, I like literally wrote from the fear monster and, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, what, what could happen here? Our, our business is, is related a lot to travel. What, you know, go down significantly, Sure. Um, all these things going on. What if I get COVID? What if I end up in the hospital? What if I end up in a ventilator? Like all these things, by voicing it, like you said, it, it takes away a lot of its its power. So this is the little befriend the fear monster. It's one Ooh. of the cards. And uh, and then you know what I did one time with with Maverick members is really really powerful. So you know these are seven eight nine figure entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. and they were talking about okay what what do they really want to do? Mm -hmm. And then we did uh, an exercise of like putting in your fears anonymously into this little box, and then we all took turns reading random ones that you pulled out of there. And it's fascinating to see how similar they were. But then also, then we, we, we made them fun by using a different accent or some sort of voice character or something. And then yeah. it made it 
you know, brought, brought some more levity to it. And, and so then it just really diminished uh, that, that aspect, but you have, but you have to bring awareness to it first. You have to bring a voice to it first. Yeah. I love that exercise. And I also love the similarity. Like we think that the thing we're grappling with is unique right. to us. Right. Nah, we're humans, we're flawed and everyone else is struggling with very similar issues. We just think they're not, but then when can anonymously share, it's amazing how similar the struggles are. Yeah. I mean, I heard a quote from Oprah Winfrey and she's like, my ultimate fear is that I won't reach my ultimate destiny. I'm like, oh, wow. That's Oprah talking. Yeah. One of the most successful women on this planet. And and that's, you know, that's something that I've I've felt a lot too, like not reaching your full potential. and, and, And so it's like, wow, that's really, really powerful. It's relevant to whether you're Oprah or whether you're a 21 year old who's at university going, well, what am I meant to do? What's my purpose? They're struggling with the same thing. So I love that we talked about journaling. So we talked about some success practices. Can you share some other things, whether that's morning routine, I heard meditation as well. What are some of the success practices that have helped you be successful at the things you've tackled so far? Well, journaling again, but, but journaling, like make sure that you give yourself time to do it. Like, so have a, Mm -hmm. a, like if you want to make this as an experiment, like for me, it's before bed. Uh, I also like using like a set of colored pens. And, and so, you you know, you can add in all sorts of things to it. Just continually doing it mm-hmm. is helping. Um, same thing with meditation uh, is, is that same thing. Like, you know, just try it out. And, and anything related to health, like, you know, before I had said, like doing these experiments with no alcohol or no, no sugar or whatever it is. And then you can add it back in if you want or, or different ways. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing like, what is a habit that you've developed that has been an unconscious habit? And mm-hmm. what is one that you want to develop that, that is, is really intentional. So like drinking was an interesting one too, where like, I couldn't remember this was many years back. I couldn't remember like one night without having a bourbon or a glass of wine or, or mm-hmm. a beer or whatever, but it's just one, maybe, you know, maybe two, or, but it was like every single night. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is going on? I, I don't want to be holding to this. And, and mm-hmm. so then I tried that experiment of 33 days and then literally at midnight on the 33rd day, I'm like on my, on my front step of my house. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have this hard, hard cider. And so it was, it was really fascinating. So it didn't quite stick, but then I did it again. And then, so then it turned into like very consciously deciding when do I want to have alcohol or not? Like mm-hmm. if I'm having a great meal. I want to, I want to pair it with something, Sure. but it, intentionally deciding. And so figuring out what does that look like. So my daily practices that I continue right now are meditation, yoga, probably like four or five times a week mm-hmm. and journaling every single night. And, and also just like taking moments to breathe. It's, it's interesting how we don't breathe properly. And there's a great book called, I think it's just called Breathe by, by James Nestor. And it's about how do we, how do we use that, that simple process to actually change our state. And, and so finding times during the day to just just be like, oh, I can in between Zoom calls, especially yeah. so many of them, like, like let's find some time to, to actually breathe. Take some uh, intentional yeah. breaths. Yeah. So I love the no the drinking thing because I'm actually on one of those right now. So I enjoy wine. I enjoy scotch immensely. My personal trainer had convinced me to stop while I, you know, I broke my ankle at a mastermind retreat a few weeks back. And she said, okay, just while you're in the cast, let's do no drinking and no, there was something else that I'm not doing. I think it was gluten-free anyways, pretty much a really restrictive diet with no alcohol. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, we're going to do this. So I'm still in it. I just got the cast off today. And I met with her this morning and she's like, are you going back to it? I said, you know what? I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait a little bit. And how long was it? It's probably been five weeks now. Okay. And how do you feel a difference? 
God, I don't want to admit it, but I know, yes, right? I know. I don't want to, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to give it up. I enjoy well, and, it. And, and that's the thing too. Like you don't have to give it up. You don't have it's to. Just, it's just, where is it intentional versus. That's, that's know, where un- it is. Unconscious. I yeah. want it to be intentional. You know, I've got a uh, next weekend going to the mountains, a cabin with some friends. It'll happen there for sure. But right. being intentional and you enjoy it more then versus this unconscious exactly. habit that you're just doing every night and you're not really thoroughly enjoying it either. And the other thing that's really fascinating about it too is you get more sensitive. Like, so I, I really believe entrepreneurs very intuitive. Like, so Richard Branson has talked a lot about it. intuition. Oprah's talked about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that your intuition gets a little bit numbed by, by these different things too. So I'll, I'll notice like, you know, it might be two days if, if, and it also depends on what I have, like if something's more clean versus mm-hmm. you know, sulfites and wine or whatever, whatever it is, sure. there's a difference. Like if I have a beer versus I have, you know, a very clean tequila, yeah. there's also a difference too. For sure. Agreed. Agreed. Someone was just telling me that, oh, Michelle Seiler Tucker that I interviewed, she's this amazing mergers and acquisitions expert. She said she was a tequila drinker. We were talking about scotch. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I only do tequila. It's more natural. And I was like, oh, it is. Well, this is something I can get my, wrap my yeah. arms around. So she was she was making the tequila pitch uh, yeah, the other day. Sure. I, mean, I never drank tequila. And then uh, my, my neighbor, I had a, everyone has like a bad tequila experience usually as a kid. Or something. Everybody does. Uh, Everybody young, does. Young adult, whatever. And then uh, my, my neighbor really was into it. And, and he brought over like a $150 bottle for my birthday. It's good. And, well, well, first of all, I was like, oh, you know, Steve, I don't drink tequila. He's like, oh, it's okay. When I come over, I'll, I'll just have it. And then, and then I ended up like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll have it. So then he, he turned me on onto that, but, but it was really. So he him. left this bottle at your house. Yeah. For him. He's like a dealer. The first one's always free. That's what he was doing right there. <laughs> yeah, it was for him. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So uh, one thing I, I want to talk about sabotage, but before I ask that question, you mentioned that your previous businesses that you seem to have this Midas touch, like mm. I, I got involved and bam, we're at seven figures. What do you attribute that to? And is that something that can be taught to other people that don't have the Midas touch? So what I attribute it to is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, overnight success. But what they don't mm-hmm. know is that overnight success took 10 years oh, because yeah. I was honing my skills and then the skills were high leverage skills like copywriting and, and direct response, also relationship building. And so one of my, my mentors was Earl Nightingale through audio. Like I, I'm a big fan. Like I think your life changes him. through the books you read or material you study the people you meet and the experiences that you have. And, and so very early on, I really just assimilated what, what Earl would talk about, which is you become an expert in any subject for, if you study for one hour a day for three years, mm-hmm. or, or if you study for one hour a day for five years, you become a world-class expert. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what happens if you do it for two hours a day? Or, or, and, and so I, I just dove deep. Such an entrepreneur I, approach. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll so, see I mean, you one it, hour a day, Earl, and I will yeah, double yeah. that. Yeah, but then the commitment to continually doing it, right? Sure. So, and that was the copywriting and the psychology of, of marketing and influence and different things. And, and mm-hmm. I was just fat because I was also fascinated by it, like the yeah. curiosity of like, how do you get somebody who you don't know to give you money? Like, and it was yeah. intriguing. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't believe that that could happen. And, sure. and also, it was, it was also like self-preservation because I hated cold calling on, on doctors as well. So, was, so then I got really, really good at it. And, and I used that, those skills that developed over many years to then apply them in a way that had higher leverage, which was the internet. So I, you know, that would be, I don't, I don't know if there's a way of, of being like, yeah, do this because everyone's path is a little bit different. Sure. Uh, but if you look at it from high leverage skills, then, then that 
that is one way of, of helping assure some success. One of the other things we talk about here at Pivot Me is that, you know, we talk about high performance habits and success principles, things like that. But us pivoters know that usually the biggest hurdle to our success is us, um, whether that's our mindset. We think it's our skill set, but usually it's our mindset. My question is, speaking of self-sabotage, how do you self-sabotage and then how do you get yourself out of your own way? Yeah, what a, what a good question. So I think it's really worth exploring this aspect of shadows and, and shadow parts. So there's there's our light part, and which is like kind of like what we always want to pull out into the world is here's, here's the parts that, that I'm great at and here's these mm-hmm. things, but they also have a, a flip side to it. So like I, I look at my role as to catalyze the catalysts. And, and so one of those archetypes is, is catalyst, which means that I love starting, uh, which as the shadow side of that, the flip side is not always finishing yeah. uh, what, what I start. So then it's like bringing awareness to it uh, helps. So then it's like, okay, who, who loves to finish? And then helping you know, bring them in is one way of, of helping uh, you know, avoid these self-sabotage aspects. My favorite project that this came forth was something called the Cosmic Journal. Where, whereas, you know, as, you know, I've talked about it a bunch of times here, mm-hmm. journaling, we love journaling, um, but um, I saw this art challenge going around for a hundred days to do a piece of art every day. I'm like, wow, it's a lot. I travel around a lot. I, I don't know if I can commit to that, but in my journal, I wrote about what would that look like mm-hmm. and what would the byproducts be? And, and I'm like, all right. And I think every challenge that you do, like you actually get stronger because you make that commitment and keep that promise to yourself. So your integrity rises. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do a journal page every single day. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it was like these so they all turned into these like hand-drawn wow. uh, journal pages every single sure. day. And, and then after about, I don't know, 40 days or so, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I started using like an Oracle. And, and then like, it was like my favorite part of the day. It didn't matter if it's like three o'clock in the morning, I would just get mm-hmm. one of these pages done. And, and then uh, I had no intention of publishing it. And one of my friends saw how much I, I lit up when I was talking about this thing. He's like, I'm going to pay to create these vegan leather versions for you. And so wow. he paid to do that. And then I had another friend introduce me to Reed Tracy, who's the president of Hay House. Mm-hmm. They're like the biggest transformational self-development publisher out there. And, and Reed is like, I've never seen anything like this. So they fast-tracked this version. And then wow. we also had uh, we all, and then a set of cards came out with it too, which ones I've been showing you. But it, so it's it like the most inflow magical project that never really. So that was how I overcame self-sabotage. It was just creating it for myself. That's amazing. So I assume they're available for sale and we can put the link in the show notes. Yeah, they're available you know, on Amazon or, or wherever, Hay House. That is awesome. We will definitely put that in the show notes. What a great idea. And I love this whole challenge, whether it's 100 days or your original comment about 33 days, but committing to a certain amount of days that you're either journaling or creating art or journaling with art. What a powerful technique. It's a great way to go inside instead of just busy ourselves with all the day-to-day stuff. Or just something that you just love. I call it a cosmic checkbox. Like, what do you really, really love? Like, do that each day and then without attachment to what happens from it. Sure. See. Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours, 
And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. Go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now and four steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself and I'll show you how to do it in four steps. One thing I wanted to ask you about on the business front is your insight on uh, a digital marketing strategy after COVID. So things have changed. The market has changed. Some really good things have come out of this as well and some inherent challenges. What, what is the insight on how we should change our strategy going forward? You know, there, there's some, I mean, I think people are getting way more comfortable with, with Zoom and, mm-hmm. and virtual events. Of course, there, you know, there's that Zoom fatigue and so forth, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like embracing what it can do, mm-hmm. which is bringing together people from all over the, the, the planet, really. Oh, yeah. And and so you're able to do more, like we, we, we would do a lot of events and now we're, we're going to do a lot of virtual things as well as keeping the live events because you can't substitute the magic of what happens there. Sure. But you can do different things and, and been having a lot of success with like having small breakout rooms that happen and, and, and allowing people to come together and you can have a, a pretty good deep connection, yeah. but, it, but it, can, it won't happen by accident. There's also like, how do you facilitate it? How do you orchestrate it and choreograph it? And so I, I think this, you know, this post COVID aspect of that is, is still going to be important, which, which has always been important to me, which is how do you build community and, mm-hmm. and you want people to feel like they're part of something bigger. Um, the other thing that I see happening is that this this pause really helps entrepreneurs, especially, but everyone's be like, okay, well, what's what's most important to me? Yeah, and and, and I think you're going to see it from this acceleration of buying behavior changing. Yeah, so this always been a part of it. So one of the books I wrote is called Evolved Enterprise, which is how business can make a greater impact in the world. And it was based on consumer buying behavior changing where they want to buy from companies that have a greater mission and purpose. Mm-hmm. But I see this accelerating even more about, okay, well, what really matters? And then for the entrepreneurs themselves deciding, okay, what really matters and, and what are the companies that I want to start? So having that impact really baked into everything that, that happens. Yeah. Having the impact and then communicating the impact as well. So exactly. yeah, it, it, nobody knows unless you share that story with them. Exactly. Actually, it's funny because I, I actually watched you speaking earlier today and you were talking about um, Evolved Enterprise and you were talking about companies and how, how important it is to have their mission a piece of this. And it actually made me reflect on, so I run the consulting firm Maven, but Pivot Me, the podcast, we don't communicate what we're passionate about from like a contribution standpoint. So I'm, you know, you and I've talked about this a little bit. I'm very, very focused on microfinance. I've done a lot of humanitarian work, a lot of travel. It's made me very passionate about microfinancing opportunities, particularly in developing countries. And I'm super fired up about it, always supporting Kiva. That's the particular organization that I've supported through the years, probably about 10, 12 years now. But we're not visible about that. In fact, we were going to have someone from Kiva on and I was going to interview them. And that's sort of been on the Asana board for a while and it was hearing your talk earlier today that made me say we need to move this up the priority we need to interview this person one to give visibility to microfinance opportunities and why they're important and why they work so 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 well even better than the humanitarian work i've done and i'll just say it i'll leave out the agency but i've worked a lot with two different agencies and we go around and we do amazing things we build houses and set up water filtration projects and stuff but 
even when someone has a house, that doesn't mean they have food, that doesn't mean they have a way to support their family. When you support someone starting a business, a tailoring shop, a fruit stand, all those kind of micro enterprise, then you've given them an, an actual tool to lift themselves out of poverty. But what was so interesting is I realized we weren't communicating that. That's not something yeah, we've ever talked yeah, about totally. on the podcast. I mean, and I think it could be integrated into what you're doing. So your organization is involved with a micro enterprise company, yeah, right? Yeah, we, we do a lot. Everything, the umbrella of entrepreneurship is what I care about. Okay, that's amazing. Village, Village Enterprise. The founders of Kiva actually came from Village Enterprise and, and we've supported Village Enterprise for a long time to do a lot of work in, in Africa, training micro entrepreneurs. Uh, and it's more of a grant model. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know anything to to further entrepreneurship self-sufficiency and you know that that hand uh, up instead of a handout kind of process let me ask you this what got you in, into that what made you passionate about it is it something you've seen again we're looking for a pivot point is there something that you saw is there some experience that you've had what made you passionate about that yeah i don't know i've just it's been wired into me like i mm -hmm. love i love the underdog and i love helping support you know, what, what people perceive as the underdog and, and how do we make them a, a greater advantage by, from, you know, instead of it feeling like they, they're at a disadvantage. Sure. Uh, um, so, and maybe that's the, my immigrant mentality of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, coming here with, with nothing essentially, and, or a couple hundred dollars, in my dad's pocket and, and then starting uh, my dad started his own company and, and doing that and seeing that process. So I think that's, that's always been embedded. It's not just because we're entrepreneurs and we're passionate about entrepreneurism. It's because the model works. I mean, it's right. a fantastic model and it really does serve the purpose. Doesn't just make us feel good about our nonprofit dollars going somewhere. Like it actually works when, and I, I separate those two things because there's a lot of initiatives that aren't working. And so this model yeah. really works. Well, so I think that we can take all our global issues and overlay a piece of entrepreneurship on top of it. In mm -hmm. some way. And then that's, that's the real, I don't know, unique way of, of helping, helping solve some of these issues. It's like, where, where, how do we create incentive for, for everyone involved? And I love the idea of like a win, 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 win across the board. And, mm -hmm. and so how do we create a, an empowered economic incentive for, for sure. everyone to get involved? Yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you, but before I ask those, I, I want to check in with you. Where does someone connect with you? Where, where should they go if they want a whole lot of more of what you just said? Yeah. Um, so if, if you're a high level entrepreneur, maverick1000.com is, is that the group that we run? I don't know, probably Instagram I'm most active on, but not super active. Uh, so my Instagram handle is just at Yannick Silver, Y-A-N-I-K silver. Perfect. Perfect. So a couple of follow-up questions. What is next for you? Uh, it's something that I've been continuing to download for at, at least the last 10 years. It's like, how do we nudge consciousness by, by one degree using the leverage of business? And, and so mm -hmm. to me, consciousness is the foundation for, for everything. And if we can change, nudge, prod consciousness, then, then, the decision-making is, is changed. The intention of, of the company has changed. The, the way to look at everything from supply chain to who you're hiring, like empowered employment, the, the leverage that you have with your, your voice and distribution, your actual product or service itself, like all these things, the talent within the organization, the ideas, like all these things are, are ways of being like, oh, here's the leverage that we have. And then you know, what, what does that look like? Thank you so much for joining us today at Pivot Me and providing some great information, great tips. Um, we will put all the links in the show notes. Check out the book, check out the journal. And I have no doubt this is not the last time we speak.
Yeah, thanks, April. Thank you. Really enjoyed my chat today. I listened hard when Yannick was talking about how he self-sabotaged in the past and how he really likes starting new things, which can lend itself to not finishing the projects he originally started. And this is so common, especially in us entrepreneurs, but many of us struggle with this. But what I really loved, and this is where I listened really closely, he instead flipped it around and said, who do I know that likes finishing? It would have been so easy for him to say, nah, I just can't start as many things. But that's actually one of his strong suits is starting these things. He leveraged his strength along with someone else's strength and went out and found his who. Yannick really pushed in on this idea that businesses can still grow their bottom line and give back in larger and larger ways. And he actually shows people how to do that. We both shared our love for micro enterprise. It's one of the most effective tools for others to lift themselves out of poverty. Yannick is fun, creative. He's the maverick mischief maker, and he is also a big James Bond fan. Go check out his work and be inspired. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.